It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing all right today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com, or give my man a call, 912 268 Two three two eight nine one two two six eight two three two eight. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Men on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy while you're watching this show, right now, while you're watching this show. Yeah, well, you know, while you're watching this show, whenever you're watching it or listening to it. Just visit uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. Um, coming up a little bit later, we got Dax Khan. Uh, will give us his thoughts and uh, predictions on the uh, three uh, big fights that are scheduled for uh, HBO this weekend uh, in the small class. So it's flyweight and super, super fly. Um, got a lot of stuff to go over. We got an update on Triple G Canelo. We got more jibber-jabber from... Uh, Wilder and Ortiz, you know, they both said we're not gonna we're not gonna talk smack anymore. But let me talk some more smack. You know, um, we got some fight results from last night. We got uh, Lucas Brown talking some smack. He was never short of talking smack about his upcoming fight against Dillian White. A uh, bunch of other news. We, as promised, we'll give you uh, some quotes on the uh, uh, Daniel Jacobs uh, Saluki fight, uh, as well as. Uh, Another heavyweight fraud in uh, Jarrell Baby Miller. I will get his uh, uh, some quotes from him. Um, but Foist, we had a fight last night, and Jojo Diaz, Jojo, Jojo Diaz, uh, improved to twenty-six and zero with fourteen knockouts uh, when he blew apart Victor Terrazas uh, by knocking him out at three minutes of the third round. Uh, Terrazaz drops to 38-5-2 with 21 knockouts, and he was a former world champion. Jojo Diaz, he's the real deal. Um, you know, he's uh, been brought up the right way as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it did seem like they were, you know, pretty much uh, coddling him in the beginning. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as uh, all the Golden Boy fighters except for Canelo, uh, a lot of these guys... Um, you know, have fought less than stellar opposition. Well, Jojo Diaz, I think, uh, may be ready. Now, he had some uh, uh, 
comments after the fight calling out uh, champion Gary Russell Jr. Um, now, Gary Russell Jr. is... is uh, uh, would be a great fight against Jojo Diaz, a, a big step up, not taking anything away from Terrazas because Terrazas was a former world champion, uh, but he was also uh, uh, in his late 30s. Um, you know, he's uh, uh, 35 years old, and after the fight, he says, uh, you know, I'm contemplating retirement. I'll talk to my family, blah, blah, blah. But after the fight, Jojo Diaz says, Gary Russell, you're next. I'm ready to have that world title around my waist. And once I defeat him, I'm going to give the fight fans what they want to see. Champions fight champions. We just talked about this yesterday. How every fighter says, we wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what all the fight fans want. I'm going to fight the best. Because to be the best, you got to fight the best. So I'm going to fight the best. And then yesterday we realized, after we said that all fighters say that, that once they get the belt, they don't fight the best. Joining me right now from St. Simons to give me his thoughts, Sal Rocky Senecola. Sal, Jojo Diaz puts on a great performance last night, says when he fights Gary Russell and wins, he's going to give the fight fans what they want. The fighters fighting the best of the best of the best. What's your thoughts? Hey, that's what we talk about every day, man. That's it. That's when you challenge yourself. That's where you rise to the occasion. That's where you the rubber meets the road, or however you want to put it, the blood on the walls, and you make it happen. And you prove it. You put your hands to the test, and your fists, and your 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 attrition, your your condition, your your mentality, your mindset, and that's it. That's what we want. We want the best fighting, the best, and may the better man win. And uh, I, I think if we can return to an era like that, uh, you know, it's going to be a great time. Well, you know what? We'll it's up. Great fights. It's up to the fighters. You know, I, yes. I saw this comment. I saw this comment on one of the things. You know, I glanced through, and they're going, "Well, you know, Bill, uh, it's not the fighters' faults. Uh, you know, the promoters and the managers decide who's going to fight." You know, I, again, these are young fans that just don't get it. You know, at the end of the day, a fighter can go into his promoters or manager's office and say, "Make this fight." You know, I don't care. Make the fight. You know, it. it it's a scapegoat that the fighters have today that they did not have yesteryear. And I'm talking even before your time. You know, fighters, yeah, they fought what their managers and promoters said. But the managers and promoters were trying to make the big fights all the time, it seemed. You know, uh, now it's the other way around. The fighters and promoters want the easiest fight. So the fighters, of course, they're going to be behind that and say, yeah, whatever whatever my promoter says, you know, I'm going to do. You know, so uh, hopefully Jojo Diaz comes true, uh, comes through with what he's saying and, and will, you know, force Golden Boy. Because remember, Golden Boy, this is the same promoter that, you know, made us wait uh, too long for, for the Triple G fight, made us wait too long for the announcement that we're even going to get the rematch. You know, I mean, come on. But uh, anyway, uh, as a co-main event, it was a bit of an upset. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, um, who uh, had only been beaten one time, Chocolito's brother, uh, lost to Ray Perez in a lightweight fight. Uh, it went to the distance. It was an eight-round fight, 79-73 twice, 78-74, all in favor of Ray Perez, who now is 22 wins, nine losses, with six of his wins coming by knockout. And Chimpa Gonzalez drops the second fight of his career, 18-2, and two, with 15 knockouts. And Sal, I think this is a great example of what I say all the time about, you know, 
fight and and this 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 is a good segue from from what we were just talking about. Managers and promoters aren't helping their fighters by giving them easy easy fights all the time. They're not giving their fighters a chance to improve. Last night, this was a great example. This a Ray Perez. You know, you look at his record and and the uh, the 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 lack of knowledge from fight from you know ma- even managers, but from fight fans and and uh, promotional companies that don't know who these opponents are, and they look at a record, and they see a guy with, with nine losses against 21 wins, and they're looking at their kid, and they go, oh, this is going to be an easy fight. But yet, those nine losses against decent opposition, and Gonzalez, uh, 18 wins against not-so-great opposition. I, they're not helping their fighters, sell. No, they're not, Bill. And, and, you know, that is a true testament about what we say. You know, if a fighter no longer has an undefeated record, as long as he's losing... Uh, and as long as he's learning from those losses, I meant to say, you know, it, he can improve. He can improve. How many times do we see a fighter fighting a fight, losing a fight, but in his heart of hearts, he knows he he did something wrong or, or, or had to learn something, and he wants a rematch, and he'll beat the fighter in a rematch. It does happen. And sometimes there's this whole process of becoming honed in on your own skill level. You know, you take a take a fight, and if you lose because the guy's too fast or he's stepping aside, he's slipping a punch, he's countering, he's, 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 he's all over you, you know, you learn from it. You assess it, and then you get sparring partners in there, and you see how you could uh, counter that and offset that. And then you go back in the ring, you challenge yourself, and you fight a fighter, and you're in a similar situation. You know how to deal with it. It's not catching you off guard by surprise or cold cocking you there. So you are familiar. That's what they call experience. And if you can't apply your experience, even from a loss, to do what you can do in the future, then what are you doing? So, you know what? Don't discount any fighter out there that has a loss or two or three or four or five. Guess what? Because in his heart of hearts, if he's improving and if he's coming out there and he still has the fire, the fervor, and the belly to, to, to get out in that ring and to give it his all, then he's a dangerous fighter. He could beat anybody at any time. The bottom line is if you don't, if you don't increase the level up of opposition for a young fighter, you're not giving him or her a chance to get better. It's, I mean, you can sugarcoat it, you can spin it any different way you want, but that's the bottom line, and and that's the truth. If you really have faith in a fighter, you know, if it's all about the money and smoke screening the fans and and you know slipping your way onto a network to get a payday. Well, then that's what it is. Don't pound your chest and say you're the best when you're a marketing, you know, you've, you've been a, a, a successful marketing toy, you know, because that's what we get today. But uh, speaking of uh, marketing, um, they announced the location of the rematch between Triple G and Canelo. And as we all expected, it's in Las Vegas it's at the T-Mobile uh, Arena again. Uh, on Cinco de Mayo, as we know, Triple G is 37-0 and 0 with this draw now that he had against uh, uh, Canelo. And Canelo, uh, one win uh, shy of 50. He's got 49 wins, one loss, and two draws. Um, one he picked up early in his career. Uh, and the one loss uh, against Floyd Mayweather. Uh, they both uh, had this to say yesterday. Uh, Canelo said, uh, I'm happy to return for the fourth time at the T-Mobile Arena for this historic rematch against Triple G. I opened the doors of this place to the world of boxing and it's become my favorite venue. This is where the fight started and this is where I'll end it by doing what I and my fans most want. 
and that's knocking him out. Uh, Triple G says it feels like uh, it feels right that the rematch returns to the scene of the crime. This time there will be no drama with a decision. I won the first fight and left the ring as a world champion wearing all the belts, and I'm going to win the second fight. It's going to be a record fight and a golden night for me and boxing at the T-Mobile Arena. Both fighters uh, predicting a knockout win, Sal. Um, what's your thoughts? Hey, man, that's what you and I say all the time, and you know what? If they're going to bring it to the table, I think it, I think it's going to be a stoppage, and I think it's going to be a late round. And uh, and uh, But we'll see which one we're going to have on top. Um, and that's all we can look for is a good competitive fight and see the heart and the desire of both fighters to wanting to win. Well, you know, um, fighters always say they're going to win by a knockout. Well, it's, and, it's part. They got to sell themselves. They got to do it, and they got to make it, make it exciting. And you know, if they can do it and pull it off, then then hey, guess what? Muhammad Ali was the only one that can really master masterfully, just uh, predict something and then do it. Well, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, if a fighter just goes in there trying to take his his or her opponent's head off, uh, they become susceptible. Uh, Bingo. And, and well, this is my point about your boy Bingo. Deontay Wilder. But uh, anyway, um, I say that a lot. Uh, but but anyway, um, the truth <laughs> of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that um, you know they're both going to try to do what they want to do, and the first guy that makes the mistake could be knocked out. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes a distance again. I just feel that Triple G needs to knock out Canelo for a decisive win and on the other hand canelo's got to knock out triple g i mean to tell you the truth this fight should end in a knockout i mean that's really what we need to happen sal it should and and i'm going to tell you bill in in my mind as i play this fight out and see what each guy is going to bring to the table i could easily see triple g stopping maybe not knocking out but stopping Canelo Alvarez more so than I could see Canelo stopping Triple G. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's being biased. I don't know. I just think that Triple G can't take his foot off the pedal. And when he has Canelo on the ropes, as he had the opportunity several times in the last fight, he should just go to the body, be more relentless, and uh, have those heavy hands uh, connect and uh, follow one after the other. And uh, if he can do it, I think it's going to be a, an easier night for himself. But I can't discount Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez has improved. He's a good fighter. He's a tough puncher. He's a great guy. And I think, I think part of what I said earlier on when we discussed this fight, where I thought Triple G gave him too much respect, well, I think that's because, guess what? I think Canelo Alvarez caught Triple G with a shot or two that said, well, okay, this guy could punch. This guy could do this. So I, I think it was a feeling out process, that whole fight. And I think they're going to know uh, that their dance partners going into the second fight. And I think they're going to accentuate on, on the positive and negate on the negative. And I think we're going to have a great fight. I think it's going to rise to the occasion. The last fight was a good fight. I don't think it was a great fight. It was a very good fight. This fight, I think, is going to be a great fight. And they're going to put it on the line. You know... Last time, it looked to me like Triple G was trying to be patient and get Canelo, yeah. get Canelo in the later rounds because, you know, Canelo seems to, to run out of gas later in the fight. And Triple G was right. Uh, but then when Canelo was, you know, somewhat running out of gas, he got on his bicycle. 
And that's when I agree with you. That's when Triple G should have been a little more relentless, uh, take a little more risk, work the body more, and he failed to do so. It will be interesting to see if he puts that let's wait to the second half of the fight uh, game plan, kicks that to the curb, and we start with fireworks uh, uh, immediately. T to tell you the truth, this fight should be looked at as round 13, so let's pick it up from the pace <laughs> that like we that. had in the last I one. I like know? that. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, let's, I like that. Let's. I got a bunch of emails we're gonna read, and uh, you know we're gonna be breaking down these fights and some other news, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's get some of these emails out the way. This one's from Jesse. He says, "Hey Billy C and Sal, uh, my picks for this weekend: uh, Superfly. He feels that uh, uh, Rungzaval uh, is gonna have a draw with uh, uh, Juan uh, Estrada." Uh, Cujo's uh, knocking out Arorio. Nietes uh, knocking out Revco late. Valora knocking out his opponent late. Uh, you thought your thoughts on uh, these fights? Uh, Callum Smith uh, unanimous decision of a Holskin. Um, I'm going to break down these fights in a little bit, so hang tight for that one. Jesse says uh, uh, Philippe Hergravic uh, fights again this weekend. Is his opponent legit? In Sean Turner. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. I think it's just a progression fight for uh, Hergrovic, and I, you know, um, he's still a, a, a learning process. So I mean, you can't throw him in with a killer yet. Um, all I ask uh, from young fighters is that they, you know, progressively increase their level of opposition. And I think that Sean Turner, at least on paper, looks like that's the case. He says, I agree with you guys on HBO, and they're pretty much not paying attention to boxing, so we might as well get rid of them. Uh, Showtime uh, has taken the lead, although Showtime has politics and doing things behind the scenes to marinate fights. Um, the, I, I think HBO's got some... Uh, thanks for the email, Jess. I, I think HBO's got some uh, stuff up their sleeve. Um, I think they rolled the dice and tried to get... Uh, some interest, uh, they surrounded the Chocolito deal, and they started showcasing some of the smaller guys, some of the reasons that you would do that, similar to uh, a footballer or a baseball team that's trying to get the most value for their money. You know, unfortunately, the, the smaller weight classes don't require as much money to lay out. I think that HBO is, is you know, keep laying low, and I think they're going to make a serious run for Anthony Joshua, uh, money-wise. And um, I, I think that this is all part of it. I'm hoping, as far as the politics and behind-the-scenes uh, antics of Showtime. Listen, make no mistake, Showtime and their uh, uh, leader, uh, so to speak, a, a guy that looks like you never want to leave your kid alone with him, and uh, uh, Steven Espinosa, um, to me... Yes, they've been leading the pack with with uh, fights. There's no question. The volume of fights and generally the competitive nature of the Showtime fights has exceeded HBO over the last two years. However, the one thing I notice about Showtime is that Showtime is specific. They're, they're putting on Al Heyman fighters, you know, uh, predominantly Al Heyman fighters. And it seems like the uh, rhetoric that we hear uh, from the uh, younger fan base that's, uh, you know, basically is, is trying to uh, accept uh, the styles of some of these fighters or, or the opponents of these. 
is all right up Showtime's alley. So the one thing I, I do believe about HBO, which is different than Showtime, is that HBO is more, they're more open-minded when it comes to trying to find the best matchups. I, I think Showtime is more married to specific promoters and or advisors and or whatever the hell Al Heyman is. What's your thoughts on that, Sal? I think that, uh, you know, you, you pretty much have it on, on the same par as myself with the, with your thoughts. And, uh, you know, I think Al Heyman, I think, you know, even though you and I have had maybe some disagreements on some things that he's done, and, you know, I thought he was trying to, you know, use those funds, if you will, to get boxing back. And, and look at the residual. Look at the end, the end case. We did get to see some good fights, big fights. And he did have, as we use the word, plethora of fighters. And he just unleashed them and, and showcased them. And, and if that's what's being picked up now and, 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 and formulated for the future, if these fighters can rise to the occasion and, and do uh, the level, perform at the level that uh, they're capable of, you know, then, then I, I don't see anything wrong with it. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see some good champions evolve and some great fights coming out of it. Yeah, well, hopefully. All right. Hopefully. We, we, that's all we can hope for, Bill. Challenging fighters, you know, fighters challenging each other. That's that's all it's about, pal. I'd rather see them challenge themselves. That's you know, what I mean. uh, they, that's they're what all meant. they're all that's saying what, they're challenging absolutely. each other all the time and none of them ever fight. You know, challenge yourself, fighter, you know. But uh, anyway, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. We got several more emails. We got DaxCon coming up in uh, about an hour or so. Nah, about 45 minutes. Uh, we'll break down the fights. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I'm here with uh, my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, we got another uh, email to read. This one's from our friend Joel. And he says, uh, hey, guys, with a busy weekend, I was wondering what two or three fights you uh, are most looking forward to. Uh, he says, I'm most uh, looking forward to the uh, Rungzaval versus Juan Francisco Estrada fight, as well as the Nikki Holskin versus Callum Smith fight, and the Anthony Yardy versus Tony Averland fight. I'm always excited to see Yardy fights because Daniel Dubois is usually on the undercard, as he is this Saturday. I'm sure you're excited. Baseball will be back, Bill, uh, before you know it, and hopefully your Mets can have a more successful year. Uh, not sure if I ever told you, but back in the beginning of December when I was working uh, on a Friday, I saw the legend himself, Joe Torre, food shopping. It was absolutely amazing <laughs> to see him in person. He's a real friendly guy. Uh, thanks for all your input, and uh, best to you guys for the weekend. Um, for, first and foremost, thanks for the email, uh, um, Joel. And yeah, I, I am excited about the Mets. Um, I uh, I don't know how good their season's going to be, but uh, their new manager says that uh, he's got all the tools in place to uh, uh, to have a, a successful season. So I, I don't know. I don't know. 
uh, as far as the fights, I'm I'm most looking fo- looking forward to the fights that I can really sit and and watch comfortably, and and those of course are on uh, HBO. Uh, in the flyweight and super flyweight divisions, I'll be breaking those down and giving you my predictions here in a little bit. Uh, what about you, Sal? What fights are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, like you said, the HBO and and you know I I I do love the HBO format because they will show those fights if I should meet them uh, if I should not get a chance to see them because I'm busy in the restaurant. I go home; they're playing every three four hours throughout the next twenty four hours, so I can catch them out on replay all the time. Showtime does not avail that as easily. You can't find them on Showtime uh, until maybe a day later for one more uh, uh, a replay. So um, I, I'll look forward to all the HBO fights. I like watching them live. Or yes, I, I, yes, I, I do know, like they have this new they have this new technology, Sal. They have this new technology, and it's called uh, DVR. So you can actually yeah. record it, and then when you get home, watch it whenever you want instead of waiting around to see when they replay it so maybe you should look into that it 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 came out not uh, that long ago probably a decade ago for you so i you know i know you you still use the abacus to figure out how much flour and cheese you no, need but to I get have, but uh, i have a vcr player <laughs> what's that a VCR. I, that's yeah. I have a VCR. I, mean, I have, I have, I have all that? these fights, all these great fights I used to tape on VCR, right? <laughs> Me I mean, too. I got I mean, a ton of I mean, them. Yeah. All but what my are you fights doing are on, well, on now, VCR. Now what are you doing them? I John Moser Yunus. I think he DVD'd them. Yeah, well. Um, all right, let's read another email. Uh, this one's from uh, my man uh, Johnston. He says, hey, guys, here's my picks for this weekend, uh, both uh for the UK and Germany. Callum Smith must be one of the most unlucky fighters. He was on the verge of cementing a fight with Anthony Durrell in May of uh, last year after their fight went to purse bids, but then it failed to materialize. The silver lining for the 27-year-old was his entry into the World Boxing Super Series with the possibility of of finally getting a big name on his resume. Now, Brahmer has pulled out with the flu, which means he faces an unknown fighter in Holskin. If, if he makes the final, and let's face it, he should, he will still be the guy that hasn't really fought anybody significant by no fault of his own. The way Smith's uh, luck is at the moment wouldn't surprise me if Groves has to pull out of the fight uh, final due to an injury, paving the way for Smith to go on and win this tournament without fighting any top-level guys. It's a shame because he hasn't been able to really showcase his skills or gain any recognition. I truly believe he gives any of the current champions a run for their money. Smith is going to win this fight early by a knockout. Um, he says, Billy, what's your thoughts on Callum Smith? Well, I, let me tell you, I, I, I think that he's an underrated fighter. You know, he's ranked number four in the world by the computer. Um, you know, he's undefeated, 23-0 and with 17 wins coming by knockout. Uh, you know, I mean, he was fairly busy in 2016, and because of uh, some points that uh, Johnston just made now, he, he only fought the one fight in 2017, and that was against uh, Sokolind, who was undefeated at the time. He won a 12-round decision. Uh, he's a former uh, 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 European and um, uh, British uh, BBC champion in the super middleweight division. He's, you know, six foot three. I mean, he's no small guy. When you look at his uh, resume, he's got a couple of names on it that are that that stepping stone level fighter that you need to 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 fight and and because he beat them it shows that he's a real fighter the names that i'm referring to 
Rocky Fielding. Rocky Fielding was a guy that we all had high hopes for, uh, and he fought him when Rocky Fielding was 21-0 and 0 back in 2015 and knocked him out in the first round. You know, so, I mean, he did what he was supposed to do. A lot of people thought that Rocky Fielding was the real deal, and Callum Smith took care of that. He also uh, beat up uh, Nur uh, uh, Norbert Nisma—I can't even pronounce his last name. It's Nispapati, uh, uh, I think, uh, and I apologize for murdering that, but uh, yeah. stopped him. He was 21-3 and three, uh, when he fought him in 2016. Uh, he couldn't continue after the sixth round. He also beat Luke Blackledge. Luke Blackledge was a good fighter uh, out of England and stopped him in 10 of a scheduled 12-round fight. So I, I think Callum Smith should definitely get uh, more love than he's getting, Sal. What, what about you? Well, I think Callum Smith is is a a good uh, a good solid fighter, and I'd like to see him challenge himself and and see how he can rise to the occasion and and beat these uh, opponents that they're going to put in front of him. I think he's at that level now. He's got to put it up there and 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 start beating you know some world class uh, fighters more and more. So uh, I think it's a good fight, and I'd like to see him win. I like him. Um. He goes on, Johnson goes on to say, uh, Anthony Yardy, who's 14-0 and with 13 knockouts, defends his WBO European and Intercontinental. It sounds like wrestling, you know, the Intercontinental titles. But, but uh, hey, light heavy I, You know, I remember when that first Intercontinental came out in the 80s or whatever. I'm like, what What? What new division is this? Is this bigger than the world? Is this a half a world? Is it all the states? What makes it different from the world? Because the Continental is putting the continents together, no? And so, I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's too many damn belts. Uh, Go ahead. He, he says, uh, it, it, Anthony Artie's putting his those bogus belts on the line against Frenchman Tony Averland, who's 26-9 and nine with a couple of draws at your call. I always wanted to go to your call. I, man, I wish somebody that listens to this show. Your call? has my call? No, uh, your <laughs> I, I, I wish somebody that watches or listens to this show from England has the finances to bring us over. I... I, I I want to f do a show so bad in England. Uh, it's it's not funny. But anyway, he says, uh, I can only see this going one way, and that's Yarde improving uh, on his 93% knockout ratio with another early stoppage. Um, one thing I will mention about Anthony Yarde, he, he's ranked. He's in the light heavyweight division. He's ranked number 14 in the world uh, by the uh, computer. Um, he's got the, uh, a win over... Uh, the same guy I couldn't pronounce uh, before against Colum Smith, um, Norbert uh, uh, Nemesponti. Um, you know, Chris Hobbs, he had a win over, which was a young fighter coming up. He, he was derailed after the fight. Um, but really, uh, and his last fight was against uh, an experienced fighter. But Tony Averland, I, I'm very familiar with. Uh, Tony Averland, a French fighter, uh, fought uh, one of my guys uh, for uh, a title uh, actually was putting his title on. He's ranked number 50 uh, in the world. Um, Tony Averland is is a is a fighter that uh, he can box. He can box. Uh, he's uh, slick. He's a slick fighter. You know, he's he, he he's he's hard to hit. Uh, and if you come right at him, that's exactly what his strength is. You know, he can tie you up and hold you and and make a boring fight. Um, you know, the only thing is, is he always gets the nod in France, and this fight won't be in France. So um, I'm not so sure I disagree with uh, Johnston Brown. I, I, I think Avalanche should be uh, able to be knocked out. I know Sean Miller rocked him pretty pretty solidly uh, when they fought, but uh, 
yeah, I, I agree with you there, Johnston. He says, Daniel Dubois uh, will no doubt pick up another knockout against D.L. Jones, who's 8-0 with a draw um, with no knockouts. Uh, the 36-year-old is uh, uh, only facing Triple D to give him rounds under his belt. Uh, hopefully he can withstand the power of Dubois and take him into the third round for the first time in his career, but I think it'll be a second-round knockout for Dubois. He says Nathan Gorman, 11-0, 9 is also on the card against an unannounced challenger. There's no doubt Frank Warren is trying to showcase Gorman with Dubois on the same uh, card for an inevitable cl uh, clash between these two. He says, I also like to see two youngsters fighting each other early in their careers, but some pundits say it's too early. I don't think so. What do you guys think? Absolutely not. I think that uh, that's the way. And, and even the guy that ends up losing the fight uh, should learn something from it. Thanks for the email, um, Johnston. And, and taking a look real quick, I know i got to take a break here, Sal, but Daniel Dubois is 6-0 and with six knockouts. His last fight was in September of last year. He's ranked... Uh, um, where is he ranked? Uh, I don't have his ranking by the computer, but I thought it was uh, pretty pretty good. Um, he uh, his combined oh, record my, my. of his opponents so far forty wins, uh, actually fifty two wins, fifteen losses, and a draw. Uh, total of fifty fights, ten times um, his total number of rounds, which was uh, only seven. Um, actually. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's nine now. He steps in with D.L. Jones. D.L. Jones is ranked number 204 by the computer. He's a big guy, six foot five, well weighs well over 230 pounds, and he does have a draw against Dorian Darch, which was his uh, uh, best opponent to date. Um, you know, this is a good fight. I, I think they're really they're really they're really uh, testing themselves with uh, with Dubois. I, I think they really are. They're putting him in. I mean, this guy on paper, he's not a knockout guy. He's got no, no. knockouts, but uh, he he is slick, and uh, we'll see. I, I, I love Triple D, uh, Dubois. I, I, I can't wait to see this guy progress. And I love the fact that the uh, European promoters are not afraid to put them in with each other young, Sal. I mean, what do you think? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, this is how we, we see if a fighter is going to go on to the next level. You know, you, you set him up and you, you match him early and, and see uh, which one is going to be able to progress and which one's going to have to uh, reassess and, and, and not start over but uh, and uh, start the, the climb again. So uh, I think it's a good test this early on in their careers. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I got one more email. We'll get some news. We got some breakdowns. We got Dax coming up in a half hour, all of that. Uh, in two minutes. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, I, I need you to take this one. All right. Wait. What? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C? Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. 
And uh, right now I got one more email to read. And this one's from my main man, Mitch. He says, hey, uh, I've never received a no-fees email like this one before, so I assume, and I'm surprised, tickets aren't moving as fast as they should one week out. He's referring to the uh, Ortiz-Wilder fight that's uh, scheduled for next weekend at the Barclays Center. He says, uh, here, check this out. Uh, the blue represents the tickets that are not sold. Well, I, I, punched, I, I actually uh, punched up the uh, uh, the email that he sent me and and the link to the uh where you could buy tickets at the barclay center and it seems like this fight is not even half sold out yet sal you know we're talking about uh we're talking about you know who's the bigger drawer and all of this crap and uh you know the joke of it is is that they're not even selling this fight out and this is actually a good fight if ortiz is coming to really fight um maybe this is why they're still talking smack. I, they said they're not going to talk smack anymore, and I got some more quotes from them. What, what's your thoughts on the fact that the fight isn't even close to being sold out one week out? That's uh, that's a little little uh, disturbing. I'd be a little concerned if I was on the end to uh, you know try and market myself and my value in the future. I'd, I'd be a little concerned about that in my own backyard, you know? I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know. maybe well, maybe there's going to be the the rush for the box office seats uh, a couple of days before. The and, truth, uh, the truth of the matter is, is Deontay Wilder is not the sharpest tool in the shed, and his own backyard is nowhere <laughs> near the Barclays Center. He lives in Alabama, all right. But well, I know uh, uh, Roll Tide, Alabama. Where is he from? Roll Tide. That's all I'm going to say. But, but Roll I'll Tide. I'll tell you what. Roll you know, tide. I, I I always stick up for for him, and uh, and I I just I just you know Deontay Wilder, he he's a good fighter. In, in my opinion, he 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 definitely uh, can be uh, where he is for for multitude of reasons, and that's where he should be. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, nobody really wants to see this fight. I mean, I don't care to see it, I, but I'm gonna see it. But what do you mean? You know, I, I want to see the fight. I just want to see Ortiz. Fight. I don't want to see him go in there and lay down. But listen, let me well, read no. you some quotes. Let me read you some quotes. We'll, because I'm, I, I, we've got a lot of stuff to cover here, and Dax is coming on in a, a few minutes. So, um, Wilder says, and, and, and some of his statements here will, will emphasize what I mean by him not being the sharpest tool in the shed. He says, <laughs> Ortiz, <laughs> he obviously never went to English class. Uh, he says, and I quote, this is uh, Deontay Wilder, Ortiz has never faced nobody with my caliber. <laughs> I think what he means to say is Ortiz has never faced anyone um, that uh, anybody up to my caliber, anybody or at his with, level or, or with my caliber. But uh, uh, it almost sounds like he's referring to a gun. But anyway, uh, he says Ortiz ain't never faced nobody with the intensity, the mindset. And I have uh, the mindset that I have or the natural killer instinct I have. All that S, you know, ending with a T goes out the window when you get in the ring with a real one. I don't care about all that. That ain't nothing. There is nothing that a man's going to do to touch me where he's going to hurt me. I'm going to walk through all that. I'm telling you, that's nothing. I've seen his style many, many, many times before. I fought it coming up in the amateurs. He's had like 30 amateur fights. Uh, I've got a lot of Cuban friends, which does, they're all fighters, Deontay. Uh, I know their style. 
Trust me, I can't wait. That's why I do my talking. I talk so my talk so I can do my walk. Anybody else on the outside of the ring can't talk the talk because they're not going to be able to do the walk, and that is like the green mile. His trainers, his promoters, his people around him are not going to be able to walk the green mile. Luis Ortiz is going to be the only person that's going to be able to have to suffer the consequences, and the more they talk, the more punishment that's going to come to him. Everything intensifies my anticipation of knocking his head off. Just keep talking. Uh, what? <laughs> All I'm going to say is, what? What'd you say, Deontay? You know, I, I mean, I, he's the one doing the talking. He's the one that's, I, you know, what do you think of his quote? I, Bill, you, 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 you're going to not like what I have to say. I mean... I, 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 the guy's not supposed to be uh, a learned, polished English uh, uh, rattler, but he's getting his message across. He's articulating at least what he wants to. So, so out of that gibberish, what message did he send? Tell me what you read out of that. No, what I got from it was I'm going to kick his ass. You know, that's that's what we get. Statement is this that. He's tired of all the rhetoric and bull. He wants to step up, do what he says, and say what he does. And he wants to make sure that he's going to go in that ring and he's going to dismantle Ortiz and show everybody that he's the real deal. That's the assessment I get. Wait from a minute, but 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 what he's doing all the rhetoric. He's the I one that hasn't fought anybody. He's the one that hasn't fought anybody, Sal. He hasn't fought anybody. What's he talking about? You know, he hasn't doesn't have it on his resume. He can't say that I beat a, a guy like Klitschko, like Anthony Joshua says. He can't say it. The best guy on his resume is Berman Stavern. We all saw that fat bastard take a dive. Come on. I mean, let's be real. You know, like, like the once... Uh, uh, one of the greatest coaches in football, Bill Parcells. His quote makes sense in this aspect. You're as good as your record is. You're only as good as your record is. And his record looks good. But when you look at the people on it, he has no business talking this crap. He has no business talking. And he's the guy talking. He's the one that's uh, shooting up. He's the one that's trying to demand respect and get people, excuse me, get people to listen to him. When all he's got to do is do take care of business and and you know knock out a a, a a guy that's you know relevant in the in the heavyweight division, which he's yet to do. All right, Ortiz, he says, I'm not going to talk, but he says. I'm ready to go. We're ready to go this week if we had to. As far as the, for the fight and for Wilder, I got no comments. None of this talk bothers me. He could talk all he wants. Deontay's trying to convince himself it's going to be a hell of a fight and somebody's going to hit the canvas, which I don't like that statement. Somebody's going to hit the canvas? Somebody's yeah. going to hit the canvas? Yeah. Uh, well, why, you know, uh, what I'd like to have... What, what I'd like to have... Right. I would have liked to have had, heard yeah. him say he's going to hit the canvas. But anyway, he says, while he keeps That's hyping wrong. himself and hyping himself and trying to believe in himself, it's going to be a bad night for him. He's talking about PEDs. I've taken seven tests this month and, uh, and, and seven that blood and blood seven blood. urine tests for VADA and for the New York State Athletic Commission. So, uh, the, obviously, there's no test uh, that's going to come up failing. 
Um, I, you know, I, I believe what Ortiz says here. I, well, I, I I don't know if Ortiz is going to really fight or not, but I do believe one thing. I believe that all this hype and, and BS that sp spills out of Deontay Wilder's mouth is to help him convince himself. You know, this is a guy that, you know, if he's not as dumb as he sounds with, with, the, with the way he speaks, then he must know that he hasn't fought any quality opponents yet. He must know that deep down. You know, so maybe he is, maybe this is a, a form of motivation for him, Sal. Yes, yes, and I agree with you there. And you know what? To his credit, I, I, I see Deontay Wilder, I mean, Ortiz is going to be too slow, too stagnant. He's going to, I see Deontay Wilder using this and putting on a decent display. Unless Ortiz catches him early and, uh, and, and shocks him and stuns him and hurts him, uh, I think Deontay Wilder's style is going to have a field day with Ortiz. Well, you know what? You I obviously think, I think he's going to have a. I think he's going to. Deontay Wilder is pumping himself up. Yes, he's getting himself and, and psyching himself up. He's going to do it. But I, I think Deontay Wilder, in his heart of hearts, is going to go out there and he feels he's going to just dismantle and show this guy and 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 uh, stop him. That's well, I got I, I got news for you. I, I let let me just say this: you obviously haven't seen. Luis Ortiz fight that much, and no, and, I haven't seen and, him fight that okay, much. No, okay, okay, but but uh, the reason why I, I say that, that the reason why I say that is because yeah. he does have hand speed uh, for a man his size, and he is kind of hard to hit when he's in the shape and he and mentally and physically when he's in the right mental and physical shape. Now, whether he comes to fight or whether he's being paid not to or whatever the case is, I don't know. But I will tell you this: if Deontay Wilder goes out there to take his head off like he did in the second fight with Berman Stavern when he knew that Stavern wasn't going to throw any punches back and he knocks out Ortiz quickly, then I'm going to be looking at it shaking my head. But if he comes out like that and Ortiz lands a couple of shots and if, and if Deontay Wilder doesn't switch back to a, a more um, smart, a smarter game plan, then uh, you you might see an upset. I, I don't know. I don't know which guy's going to show up, which Ortiz is going to show up. But if the real Ortiz shows up, Deontay's in trouble. I'm telling you right now, Sal, if the real Ortiz shows up, Deontay's in trouble. Even at 40, 49 or 50 years old, however Ortiz really is, if he really shows up to fight, and like I said yesterday, we'll know by the weigh-in next Friday, because if he's in decent shape, that means he's trained hard and, and he's going he's gonna to fight. If he comes in like a fat pig, you might as well not even watch the fight. You know what the outcome is. That's my thought from this stage. And obviously, we'll have a lot more time to break it down. Yes, you're right. And, you know, but for you to even have to make that statement, which Ortiz shows up to fight, puts doubt in my mind because a fighter should be the same and consistent Every time he steps in a ring, he should come in to fight. He should come in to win. He should come in with the mindset where he doesn't look like he's stale or doesn't look like, oh, geez, what guy, what guy's going to show up tonight? No. So by that statement alone, and I, and it's right on. I think Deontay Wilder is is going to shut him out and shut him down. And uh, whether Ortiz brings his A game in or not, uh, I just, I, I, like I said, I don't want to sound like the biggest fan of Deontay Wilder, but I think the guy is capable. I think the guy could do it. And uh, uh, Ortiz, I don't see 
at this stage much of a threat, even if he comes in as a game. Which again, for you to for we to, for us to have to say that, which Ortiz tells me that you know, hey, he can get caught with a shot and say, oh gee, what am I doing now? We don't know what a fighter is, is going to be thinking, what he's going to be doing, and and who knows. So I I think Deontay Wilder is going to have a good night. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, well, um, I, I, whatever. Um, let's let's move on. Well, uh, there you go again. Yeah, whatever. But uh, um, Adrian Broner just can't stay out of trouble, Sal. <laughs> no, he um, can't. Uh, last Monday, uh, a uh, woman uh, at uh, a mall, uh, it was called the Lenox Square Mall in Atlanta, claimed she had been inappropriately groped by a man that was later identified as Adrian Broner. Police say oh, Broner de- denied the allegations, but after interviewing both Adrian Broner and the woman, they decided there was enough evidence to arrest him. He was charged with with misdemeanor sexual battery and transported to the Fulton County Jail uh, and uh, is now uh, looking oh. uh, to uh, face a, a court appearance. This is uh, right after he was in court last month uh, when he was sued uh, last year when he uh, knocked a guy out on the streets of Vegas. This guy can't keep his ass out of trouble, Sal. You know, it's a shame. It really is because, you know, it, first of all, it, it's not good for the whole boxing image in a sense. And if we have a bad egg here or there, uh, that's one thing. But if he's in a position where he's putting himself in jeopardy or trouble, that's another thing, you know. You don't need this kind of stuff in your life, and you know you, you got to carry yourself like a professional, and that's a professional across the board. And uh, you know that doesn't mean just when you step in a ring every six months or a year. That means you carry yourself and conduct yourself like a professional. You can't raise your hands to anybody professionally because you are a paid fighter, and you cannot look for trouble. You can't put yourself in a position if you feel yourself getting in a position that's going to be a little gray and fuzzy. The little professor in your head should say, "Whoops, I got to exit this uh, stage right and get on uh, and get out of here." I mean, that's that's what you do. You don't look to subject yourself to a situation that's going to be controversial or put yourself in jeopardy. I just think he's an idiot. Um, oh, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, one other <laughs> thing I wanted to talk about real quick: there's a uh, heavyweights, uh, both uh, Swedish uh, heavyweights, Otto Whalen and uh, Adrian Granat. Uh, they're meeting in a grudge match for a European heavyweight title in April uh, in Sweden. And uh, both of these fighters are, are pretty even, uh, same age, same size. Uh, Whalen's undefeated at 19-0 with 13 knockouts, and Granite is 15-1 with 14 knockouts. Um, the other little side note to this story, uh, not only just boxing in Sweden in general, but Jonathan Banks... The one-time trainer or trained uh, Klitschko a couple of for a few fights after uh, uh, his uh, Hall of Fame trainer passed away, is uh, was signed on to fight. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about Manny Stewart. Uh, signed on to be the trainer for Granette. So we'll see if that makes a difference uh, in that fight. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the uh, big uh, uh, middleweight fight that's coming up, or maybe not so big. But uh, Daniel Jacobs is returning to the ring. And um, it's uh, taking place uh, on April 28th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And it will be broadcast on HBO. He's taken on uh, uh, Macy uh, Saluki uh, in, uh, in that fight. And they uh, officially announced it. Uh, also on that card is uh, 
Jonathan Duopaz, who's uh, as slow as molasses, taking on Jarrell Big Baby Miller, who's a fat pig, but he does throw a lot of punches. Uh, but, uh, you know, this the winner of this fight is projected to fight AJ if AJ gets past Joseph Parker uh, at the Barclays Center um, later in the year. Uh, Daniel Jacobs said, HBO believes in me and I'm going to make sure I do my part. Uh, Saluki is a tough competitor. Uh, Luis Arias will, was all talk. He didn't give the fans what they were expecting. I believe Saluki will bring a fight. He's skillful and with his determination makes him dangerous. Sal, Daniel Jacobs, in my opinion, could very well be, um, you know, assuming that the, uh, for assumption purposes, uh, if you say Triple G and, and Canelo are the top two middleweights in the world, you could make a pretty strong argument that Daniel Jacobs is number three uh, or tied with Billy Joe Saunders at number three. Um you know, I know there's only so many fighters out there that you could put him up against. What's your thoughts of him fighting Saluki and this, like he mentioned, uh, Luis Arias, who stepped up in weight to fight him? I mean, these are HBO showcase fights against guys that really are not at Daniel Jacobs' level. What's your thoughts? No, and, and I'm going to tell you this. I, I, if I was in his uh, management team, on his management team, I wouldn't advise to go ahead with it. I mean, you're on top of the ladder, uh, and you should not have to fight a fight fighter that's on a lower rung. You got to fight somebody that's equal or somebody that's up a little higher or in more regard, uh, because you, first of all, you don't want to uh, jeopardize your status and or, or subject yourself to to a poor performance. And and you know you, you you should be looking to like I said, challenge the best that there is. And, you know, make that happen and fight the best that you can find. That's all. I don't think this is I I don't think I, I would advise him to go ahead and do that. Well, I mean, to me, this isn't an HBO caliber fight. But like no. I just said, the only fight that really people wanted to see was Billy Joe Saunders. I'm not sure. I'm not uh, sure. Why. It's like well, I'm, deal. Not, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't try to make that fight. You know, I well, mean, I know, know that, that that makes me concerned about it because. Well, Billy Joe Saunders, I mean, you want to talk about a fighter. I, I mean, I'm going to uh, be up front. I didn't know too much about Billy Joe Saunders until I saw what he did against David Lemieux. I saw Billy Joe Saunders here and there. He didn't look all that great. And like I said, sometimes a fighter rises to the occasion and he needs the right dance partner to bring the best out of him. And the Billy Joe Saunders I saw in previous fights was not the Billy Joe Saunders I saw destroy and almost humiliate Dave Lemieux. And, you know, so whatever he rose to the occasion, he just put it on that night and put it all together. And I think I think that's the kind of fight fighter we're going to see when he faces the kind of competition and the world names that we know of uh, next time out. So uh, maybe there's something there they don't want to deal with. I don't know. And he's a big guy for his weight class. The guy's huge. Well, the guy that, like uh, my man Papa just said in the Facebook uh, simulcast, um, you know, how about Charlo? I mean, Charlo's a big guy, too. I'd love to see Charlo fight Danny Jacobs, uh, but of course, uh, Charlo's with Al Heyman, and you only see him fight guys that are way smaller than him, etc., etc. You know, you don't no, see... that's a you, good you, fight. That oh, it's a great so fight. Good. It would be a great yeah. fight, but Saluki said... I need to win this fight, and I know I will win this fight. 
You see, that's when when you have a guy that's saying those types of sentences in those, in that way, the confidence level, that's what you want. When you hear a fighter that's saying, well, the, the best man's going to win that night. Or somebody's going down. Somebody's going knocked out. That's uh, not good. I uh, I'm like going to do my best. I'm, I'm going <laughs> in there. I'm going to try my hardest. You know, I mean, that's not a good sign, you know. Um, but he yeah. says, I need to win this fight. Everyone will know my name after this. Luis Arias was a clown who only talked. He was scary, Danny Jacobs. I'm not. I'm a Polish warrior, and you'll see uh, that in a really big war. You know, a lot of these Polish fighters are warriors, but they take way too much punishment. Uh, as far as Miller against Duopaz, Jarrell Miller says, being big is a privilege. Don't hate on it. He's, he's referring to people like me who say he's a fat bastard. He says, uh, I have the biggest punch output in the division, so Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder can't walk me down. Come April 28th, the French fry is going to get cooked. Uh, Duopaz says, Jarrell is a great talent, dangerous fighter, but this is a huge chance for me, and I'm not going to let it slip by. Um, I don't know. I, you know, uh, Johan Duopaz is, uh, is too slow. Um, I think uh, that's uh, the biggest uh, trouble there. Um, but uh, I like uh, I, I like Charlo against uh, if if we can't see if we can't see uh, Danny Jacobs fight Billy Joe Saunders I like Charlo I, I like that fight Sal to tell you the truth yeah I agree with you I think it's a great fight and uh, I would love to see that they're both big guys for the weight class and uh, you know I, I think it would be a great style matchup and uh, I think it would be an explosive fight we'd see a real good exchange there I like that um, one other thing I wanted to uh, mention before we take a, a, a break here is um, the former uh, WBA champion who was stripped, heavyweight champion, who was stripped because of uh, uh, testing positive, uh, Lucas Brown, you know, after he served his time, so to speak, uh, his suspension, he's back in the mix, he's training, and he's getting ready for a fight that's taking place at the end of March between Dillian White. Now, Dillian White is a name that we've been hearing a lot and uh, one of the reasons we hear his name a lot is because Deontay Wilder did not want to fight him. Uh, Dillian White, I think Deontay could have beaten, and I think it would have been a great name on um, Deontay Wilder's resume. Uh, but instead, he did not take the fight, and um, Brown did. And Dillian White is 22-1, and his only loss at the hands of Anthony Joshua. Brown is still undefeated, 25-0 and with 22 knockouts. Um, he said this about Dillian White. He says, I got one more week of training in Sydney before I head off to the UK for my sparring. Everything is going very well in training and my confidence is high. I'm only going to get better with the fitness, so I can't wait for this fight. Dillian White, you're in trouble, my man. You're a... And he referred to him in a negative way, uh, basically... Uh, he doesn't. He says he's an idiot anyway, in not so many words. He says, you're in trouble, uh, so it's going to be fun for me. I'm going to win and have that nice little silver belt around my waist, and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, a lot of talking going on in boxing these days, Sal. Yes, there is, I'll tell you. And, uh, you know, let's see what fighters put their fists up and make it happen. And, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, that's all we can do. You know, one one will come out a little more humble and the other one will come out and say see i told you so <laughs> right right but uh listen we're going to take a short break when we come back i got uh dax khan scheduled to join us and uh we got the three uh flyweight uh well two flyweight and one super fly weight title fights uh on hbo this weekend that uh 
Dax and myself will uh, and Sal will uh, obviously all three of us uh, will give you our thoughts and predictions. So don't go anywhere. We will be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, joining us right now uh, is uh, my man Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Morning. How's everybody? Good. How you doing, my man? Doing well. Thank you. Um, got some fights this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the three big fights on HBO right now. Um, which one you want to start with? It's Superfly 2. I mean... I'm I'm excited about the whole card. I mean, you know, Bill, the first one was, you know, phenomenal. Um, and now the second one, I really think it's going to live up to um, to the first one. It might might even surpass it, you know. So um, we might as well start out with the um, the main event. You know, uh, it sounds to me like the the right one to start out with, considering that's the one that's really the most relative, and that's the one that's actually going to affect the sport in an overall manner because the winner here, you know. You know, as, as you know, he affects that mythical top ten pound for pound, so to speak, which you know in boxing nowadays seems to be very important. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, what's your thoughts on the fight? Well, you know, the main, you know, it's a WBC super flyweight bout. You know, this title has been the most active title in all of boxing over the last few years. You know, in 2013, Rung Visai, a lot of people don't. Um, in the U.S., at least, they don't understand that, you know, he had this title originally. Uh, he won that in the ninth round stoppage over uh, Hirofumi uh, Mukai. And then after a um, some circa 1940s, 1950s uh, type style, he has about five or six non-title fights. He faces Carlos Kudras in uh, May of 2014. They go to war for seven rounds. Kudras suffers a bad cut due to that physical style of Rung Visai. Uh, goes to the scorecards. He gets the title. Kudras defends that belt six times in two years. Where does that happen in boxing nowadays? A champion defends a belt six times in two years. He loses wow. that war with Roman Gonzalez in 2016, which uh, might have been, you know, the indication that was the downfall of Roman Gonzalez because Gonzalez really struggled. Um, February 2017, when uh, Gonzalez loses to Rung Visai. We know the rest from there. They have the rematch. Uh, Rung Visai wins sensational one-punch knockout. Uh, you know, Rung Visai, you know, he's 44-4-1, um, 40 knockouts, 30, uh, um, 31 years old. Uh, he averages about six fights a year. Um, wow. He also averages about six rounds a year. Uh, you know, I think 2011, he fought about 10 times. 
Um, you know, despite being a two-time title holder, though, he's only made one successful defense of that belt, and that was in the rematch against Gonzalez on the Superfight card. And the pros on him is he's a product of those small venues in Thailand where the rules are a bit more relaxed, shall we say. You know, he's not a refined boxer, but he's a veteran. And um, he uses those veteran tactics effectively. He doesn't get the prettiest wins, but he does. He's a straightforward fighter who uses pressure and uh, raw physical strength on the inside. He wears his opponents down. Uh, even Kudras, who's a very strong fighter, had a lot of problems with him. And we've seen what he did to Roman Gonzalez. Outside of his uh, two stoppage losses, which came in his first two bouts, some 47 fights ago, uh, Rungvisi has shown a granite chin. If you look at his legs, they're like tree trunks. Um, he only fought twice in 2017 because he was mandated to give Roman Gonzalez that rematch. And, you know, the cons on him is he's had a limited amount of high-profile opponents. Uh, Mukai, who we won the first title from, uh, Kudras, who we've lost to, and then, of course, you know, Gonzalez. Now, uh, Ron Francisco Estrada, there's a guy on the other side who's really special. Um, you know, he's been kind of that forgotten guy in that mix of uh, due to Roman Gonzalez and Kudras and a few of the other guys who've been pushed more. Estrada uh, is an intelligent boxer who can fight well on the inside and on the outside. More importantly, he knows when to stand his ground and when to bo- uh, back off. Um, he has faced definitely the better opponents outside of Carlos Kudras, outside of Roman Gonzalez. He's also uh, faced and beaten uh, Richie Menbrum, uh, Milan Melindo, Brian Valoria. And in this fight, what I think is, you know, the question marks on uh, Estrada. You know, both his losses, Bill, Sal, you know, they're, we talk about how guys, they have losses on paper, but do they really have losses? You know, Estrada gets his first loss in uh, 2011 against Juan Carlos uh, Sanchez Jr. He gets an early knockdown, he gets up, he scores a knockdown, but it's an eight-round fight, and Estrada had been fighting 11 and a 10 and 12 round fights for about five or six years, five or six bouts by then. Same thing with Roman Gonzalez. When he lost to Roman Gonzalez, Estrada had been fighting at 112 and even 118 pounds for 27 professional fights. All of a sudden now, after six times in 12 months where uh, Estrada had been fighting at 112 pounds, he drops down to 107 pounds, he weight drains himself, and he loses to uh, Roman Gonzalez. You know, this is going to boil down to style. The contrast of styles between Roman Gonzalez and Carlos Kudras, who uh, Rungvisi has a win and a loss against, is totally different than what we're going to see from the style of uh, uh, Estrada. You know, Estrada is going to know when to stay in. He's going to know when to come out. He's going to outbox Rungvisi. He's going to make Rungvisi look slow. And unless he gets caught early, which has only uh, been his only uh, weakness in his career, I see him definitely outboxing Rungvisi, making him follow Rungvisi, around, uh, Rungvisi follow him around, maybe do a little bit of a uh, Sal mentioned before, Billy Joe Sanders did to David Lemieux. And then Juan Francisco Estrada is going to, you know, win that title and break into the top 10 pound for pound rankings, in my opinion. So, so you're picking uh, uh, Estrada in this one? I'm picking Estrada, and I think he's going to make it look easy unless he gets caught with an early punch. You know, I, I look at this fight, and I'm going to take down all of our uh, predictions here so we can face the music on Monday. But, um, you know, the, the one thing, and, and you're right, you know, uh, re, I can never pronounce this guy's name, but <laughs> Wangic. Let, let's, his real name is Wangic, but Run Visai. Um the guy who beat Chocolito, not once but twice, um, beat him very convincingly in in the first uh, in the second fight. Uh, a lot of people thought Gonzalez won the first one. Um, the thing I see about him not only is he ranked number one uh, in the super flyweight division, uh, he's currently the world champion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like like you said, Dax, you know he's a multi-time holder of this belt. Uh, he does have some losses in which he lost the belt, but the the big difference here 
and it was evident when he fought uh, Roman Gonzalez, was the issue of size. Now, I know these weight classes are only determined by a few pounds. A, a, a good, healthy visit to a bathroom can make you go from one weight class to the other. Or if you go and sit down and have a healthy meal at Sal's, you jump up a weight class. But the truth of the matter is, is it obviously showed a difference, at least in my eyes, in the Gonzalez fights. And I think that a very similar situation is happening with uh, Juan Francisco Estrada. Juan Francisco Estrada, like you mentioned, did weight drain himself when he uh, contended for the junior flyweight uh, championship against the aforementioned Gonzalez. Uh, he seems to be more comfortable or seemed to be more comfortable at the flyweight division where he won uh, a world title. And I'm not really sure how he lost it because he didn't lose it in the ring. It sounds like he, he was stripped. Um, so once again, he's moving up uh, now. Uh, or his, his last uh, fight against Carlos Kudras, I believe, was a super flyweight. So now that that's probably what it was. I forgot that he moved up in weight. Um, now he's fighting uh, a guy that's been in the same weight class, the super flyweight division, for his whole career. Um like you, and, and by the way, he's ranked at number five in the world at Superfly. Like you, I'm picking Estrada. And the reason I'm picking Estrada is really for what you said early on when you, when you uh, started talking about Juan uh, Francisco Estrada. He is a special fighter. And, I, you know, I've always loved this kid. Um, I, you know, his, his blemish on his, at least his first blemish on his record uh, against... Uh, or uh, for the for the title when he lost to Gonzalez, uh, he lost uh, uh, to Juan Carlos Sanchez first uh, back in uh, 2011. I, I think that youth might play a part in this fight, guys. I I, I really do. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Runsgaval won the two fights against Gonzalez, but it wasn't like he won him easily. Well, the second fight was more easy, but I mean, he's got some miles on him. I'm going with the younger kid uh, in this fight. Uh, I I believe that. Uh, uh, he's going to win. He does have an arm reach advantage, but I don't think it's going to come into play. Um, I, I, I believe that uh, Estrada is going to win the fight. Sal, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with you, Bill. I, I think Estrada is going to win the fight. He's, he is young. He's, he's looking to establish himself and to be on top for a while. And, and I think, uh, you know, he may prove to be uh, the, the better guy that's coming to fight to win. Hey, Dax. Why isn't Rungzaval getting any love, man? I mean, this guy dismantled Gonzalez, right? I mean, all three of us are going with the other side. And it's like, I, I, I don't know why. Like, I don't even know why myself I'm picking uh, Estrada. I just think he's more well-rounded. You know, here's a guy in, in uh, Rungzaval that's done nothing but, but prove us wrong. And once again, the three of us are all going against him. And you know, guess why? We might be proven wrong again. We might be, but again, you know, something, uh, two things that are important. Number one, Estrada is bigger than Rung Visai. He not only is he an inch taller, but he has um, almost a three inch reach advantage, which he uses well. The other thing is, is that, you know, the average amount of rounds from Rung Visai, like I said, he's averaged about six fights a year, but he's also averaged about six rounds a year. He's only been the distance twice, I believe, past eight rounds. And that was in the first Gonzalez fight and um, one other time earlier on in his career. And Juan Francisco Estrada, 
if you see, and he's beaten, you know, the names, as I mentioned, you know, the upper tier, and he gets his wins late in the fights, just like Kudras, where he was having a hard time early. And Kudras is a strong fighter who applies a lot more pressure and is a lot quicker than Rungvi side. And then later on in the fight, what happens is Strada adjusts, he shows his power, and he actually drops Kudras later on in the fight. And understand this much as well. Juan Francisco Estrada has fought as high as Bantamweight. In his first 25, his first 30 fights, he fought more as a fly, um, a flyweight, a super flyweight, and even a bantamweight than you know he did in the uh, the lower weight classes. So he does have that advantage, and against the higher profile uh, level of competition. So later on in the fight, as this fight goes on, like I said, unless he gets caught early, which he has in the past, that is going to be the difference. As the fight goes on, he gets stronger. Rungvisai is going to find himself wanting and not knowing what to do against a kid who has been there many times against better um the next fight we'll talk about is the co-main event on the hbo triple header donnie nietes against juan carlos revco and again to me guys it seems like this is a pretty evenly matched fight nietes is uh, uh ranked number one in the world at flyweight and juan carlos revco is ranked number three the other thing that I noticed that's very similar to these two guys is their age. Very uncharacteristic, uh, Lee, of, yes. of, of this weight class. They're both in their 30s. Uh, Revco's 34, Nietes is 35. You know, um, how big of a, uh, a, a, a thing is this going to play out to be, Dax? And, and who do you like and why? Um, well, I lost you for a second. Sorry. Me too. Um, you know, the last, you know, Nietes, the last time Nietes lost was in 2004, and that was a split decision uh, to Anki Ankara, who was also overweight in that fight. Uh, Nietes has been a champion since 2007, from minimum weight to junior flyweight and to flyweight. He has also faced the best competition available in those weight classes. Uh, Revko himself, a former two-division champion, is a bit more of a slugger than Nietes, not uh, such a refined fighter. Um, he lost twice to a uh, Kazuda Ioka in 2015, once by majority decision and once by stoppage. Uh, Nietes, in my opinion, is the fresher guy because he has the, uh, the style that you know allows him to uh, take less punishment than a guy like Revko, and that's why he's fighting at such a high level at 35 in his weight class. And also, the fact that somebody at 35 years old, and considering these weight classes are so close together, and this guy started back, you know, his career's been going on, you know, 15, 16 years, and he's only jumped up six pounds in that amount of time from a kid to a grown man. That tells you what kind of shape he keeps himself in, and that tells you what kind of shape his body is in, even as he ages. So, you know, that's why, in my opinion, I think Donnie Nietes is going to get the decision in a tough fight. Revko, don't make uh, make no mistake, he is no uh, layover. He, you know, he's been, you know, a champion. He's been around a long time at that top level, but Donnie Nietes is just slightly better, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm picking Nietes myself. What about you, Sal? Yeah, I'm going to go with Nietes too. Right now, we're uh, we're all on the same side, boys. Um, you know, those two fights are extremely competitive. Uh, yes, there's no question about it, and we could all very well be wrong uh, come Monday morning. But the one thing I think we're all going to agree on and make it a, a sweep here is that the opening bout of the night is not too competitive. Uh, Brian Valoria is a well-decorated uh, fighter, and he's no spring chicken either at 37 years old. He's a former world uh, uh, junior flyweight and flyweight champion, uh, has been resurrected more times than Sal Rocky Senecola has. And, easy, uh, easy. Uh, you know, I, he's worked his way up to being number four uh, in the world at flyweight, but he's fighting a guy, Dax, 
I know nothing about um, aside from, you know, just uh, seeing, uh, you know, his his resume. And when you look at that resume, it's uh, very aside from somebody just looking at the O, he's fought nobody. I, I mean, is it going to be competitive? You know, Brian Valoria is a guy that, in my opinion, he's always been a victim of his own uh, bravado, so to speak, where Valoria gets this urge to stand there and trade. We've seen that with Roman Gonzalez, and Roman Gonzalez, you know, more or less kind of beat him up and brutalize him on the inside. Um, uh, but, you know, even in his other losses, you know, to Edgar Soska in 2013, that was only a majority decision. Um, in 2006, when he lost to uh, Omar Nino Romero, um, they fought twice that year, and he finds out that Romero was actually under the use of uh, Pete, so the first fight turns into a no contest, and then um, in the rematch later that year, I believe he knocked him out, and then some years later, they faced again and, and knocked him out again. You know, he's been in there with the Earn, uh, uh, Ernan Tyson Marquez, Giovanni Segura, Paibu uh, Shubakamps. And so, you know, uh, Brian Valoria, again, another guy who's no kid, has been around the sport a long time. And now that he's going to go in there against Artini uh, and you know, Delakian, where did this kid come from? He doesn't really have much of an amateur background that I know of. Um, one of his opponents, uh, Robert uh, Candelash, you know, who we beat in 2015, had lost four of his prior six and lost nine of his 11 fights afterwards. Um, Valoria is either red hot or he stumbles. And, um, you know, he creates his own hazards, mostly due to that aggression, like I mentioned. So unless he gets caught early by uh, Delakian with a big punch, I see Valoria winning by knockout. And that knockout percentage of Delakian, it's questionable because look at the caliber opponents he's been in there against. So, you know, that knockout percentage may not really be all that great of a knockout percentage considering the level of those opponents and the fact that Brian Valoria has been in there with the very best of the best and it's taken those guys to actually stop him. Sal, you, you're making it uh, 100% or what? Yeah, I'm 100%. Dax, you just gave a great breakdown and assessment. Uh, I'm on the same page, pal. One thing, one thing I want to add about Brian Valoria. When you look at this guy's record, all right. Now, one of my favorite fighters in this, in this, and and I know Dax, you you probably, you know what? Maybe you will agree with me, but um, Giovanni Segura, when when he was, you know, especially when he fought Brian Valora, I mean, this guy, what an exciting fight that was, and like you had mentioned, you you know, some of the other names, Ulysses, Solisi's got a win over, Segura's got a win over, uh, he did get stopped by Carlos Tamara. Uh, he also lost to Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada, who's fighting on this card as well. Uh, but the Herman uh, Tyson Marquez fight, that was another big one. I mean, he's been in there, like you said, with the toughest guys in these weight classes. Um, you know, it, it's just proving that his longevity is is there. I mean, there's, uh, there's no question about it. And I, I think we're going to be treated uh, to a... Uh, uh, an exciting weekend uh, of the uh, of the little guys, so to speak. But uh, hey, Dax, why we got you on? A, what did you want to add? One more thing about the fight? Well, you know, even the Kudras versus Royal fight is a great fight. No, I, I know, no, I I, I know. I, I focused on the fights that were going to be televised. That, that's not going to be on. That's not going to be televised, right? The Kudras. That should uh, that should be televised. I don't see why it's not because the winner of that fight is going to fight. Um, you know, the winner of that fight is in line to fight the winner of Estrada and Rungvisai. Well, are they showing four fights or just three? More than I think they're going to show all four fights. Oh, I, I wasn't. I didn't know that. I thought that according to my um, you know, printout here is that uh that they're they're it's a triple header that they're showing the three yeah, uh three title fights. They, they showed four on Superfly, so I don't see why they won't on Superfly 2. Again, 
things seem to change, you know, by, by the night. So we'll have to see on that day. But considering that that is an eliminator, just like Juan, Frisk, Juan Francisco Estrada and Carlos Kudras was an eliminator on Superfly, and they showed that, I don't see why they wouldn't be showing this fight. But we never know. As you know, this is boxing. It's the networks. We never know. Yeah, this is true. Hey, Dax, I wanted to get your thoughts. We've been talking uh, a lot this week about Deontay Wilder and the Luis Ortiz fight and today uh, more quotes more trash talk um, we also know that the the ticket sales aren't going that well uh, we also learned that uh, you know Eddie Hearn and I know you're you're with me on this that you know he's kind of the best promoter in boxing worldwide right now um, he's not afraid to to do what promoters are supposed to do and and I think it's brilliant that he's bringing Anthony Joshua to the Barclays Center uh, over the summer late summer um what's your thoughts on the smack talk that Deontay's saying um you know putting himself on that pedestal which he's been criticized by both uh, uh hall of fame fighters like your guy Lennox Lewis and and of course uh, one of my favorites uh, Mike Tyson have both uh laughed at his uh uh comments saying he's the best that the heavyweight division has ever seen um is Ortiz going to come to fight? Are we going to see Deontay? But the bottom line is this. Is Ortiz going to come to fight? Are we going to see Deontay show us something against a real fighter? Or is this going to be, uh, and I hate to say it, another one of these Stavern, let me grab the money and, and go on vacation type fights? You know, I believe Deontay Wilder is going to come and, you know, try and put on his best performance. Um, as for uh, Luis Ortiz, I don't know. You know, with what his mindset is, considering all the troubles he's had over the years, um, how long he's had to wait to actually get a, uh, a champion, whether or not it was Wilder, whether or not it was Klitschko, whether or not it was uh, Joshua or, or somebody like that into the ring. And then, you know, his most recent problems with the, uh, the PED uh, slash blood pressure medicine, I don't know where his head is. Um, his last couple fights, he didn't look very um, fast. He looked very slow. He looked very plodding. If that guy goes in there against Deontay Wilder, it should be an easy night for Deontay Wilder. So I'm not really sure, you know, where, you know, it's really a mystery on uh, which version of Luis Ortiz shows up. If Luis Ortiz shows up to fight and in, um, he shows up in shape, then it'd be an interesting fight and a lot of questions to be answered on Deontay Wilder. As far as Deontay Wilder and his trash talk, you know, it's again, he's, you know, he's a guy that I think he's realizing, you know, I'm more or less being force fed down the throats of people and I don't like, and I've said this on the show before, I don't like the way I'm being promoted and handled and presented by my promoter and my advisor. You know, I think Deontay Wilder wants to be taken seriously. I think Deontay Wilder wants to be more than um, what the fans are starting to bill him as the PBC champion. So it's a tough spot for Deontay Wilder and he's not the only one in the sport as we know. Uh, Joseph Parker last week was uh, here. And they uh, asked Joseph Parker his uh, opinion about uh, his upcoming fight with Anthony Joshua, where Joseph Parker had made a comment uh, called uh, Anthony Joshua uh, uh, juice head, steroid abuser. And they asked him, you know, does he really believe that? And he said no. He goes, sometimes you feel obligated to say certain things to help sell the fight. And uh, he had called me a pie head. And he said, you know, like a little kid, the first thing popped into my mind because his big muscles, you know, I called him a juice head. So he goes, it's not that really I believe that. It's just, you know, something I was on the spot to say, and you had to say something because of 
if I didn't say anything, I'd look kind of like an idiot in front of the camera. And I think that's the uh, the case with Deontay Wilder. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, no matter what, even if he does look sensational against Luis Ortiz, he has to step up and he has to uh, take the Anthony Joshua fight or the Joseph Parker fight, depending on whoever wins, without declaring these terms and without saying anything else other than, you know what, I want the contract, we'll fight where I got to, or else he's never going to get anywhere past where he is right now. Dax, Sal and I have been talking all week uh, about – and and we had Larry chime in as well about the fact that Deontay Wilder has not been really advised in the proper manner, especially over this fight with uh, Anthony Joshua that could have been made. He he was demanding more money, et cetera, et cetera. And the facts are the facts. I mean, this man has not made two million dollars. I don't know what he's making for Luis Ortiz. Hopefully, it's it's two million or more. Um, but. But the facts are the facts. If he would have fought Anthony Joshua, you know, he, he makes seven million at least uh, when all is said and done, and, and he gets a rematch as long as the first fight is is exciting, uh, where he's going to probably make more than that. Plus, he solidifies a a level in which he'll never fight for lower than that if he chooses to continue. And yet, he's still fighting these types of fights, which require more fights to build momentum and value, so to speak, um, for him to demand what he's demanding. And at the end of the day, you look at the ticket sales that's going on for the fight that's a week away, there's still half, half the seats are still available in the venue. I mean, I don't know what to think. I mean, you know, the only guy that's spewing out how great he is and how much people love him and everything is Deontay Wilder. I, I just don't understand it. Well, Put these things in, into a uh, factor. Number one, Lou DiBello is involved there, and we know Lou DiBello how great he is for careers. But um, you know, um, Deontay Wilder. Okay, he has a title belt. All of a sudden, now he's a champion. Everybody's feeding his head. You're the champion. And now we take two other guys, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. Uh, before they became the champion, they built up that interest. They went overseas, and they became the champion and brought that belt back home. And their stock has risen. Now, if Deontay Wilder, despite having that title belt, would have went over there, win or lose, his stock is going to rise. He's going to make that uh, money, as you said, more than he's made here. Boxing is a business. So let's say he goes over there and he loses. He Not only did he make the biggest pay day of his career but now all of a sudden because he went over there and he showed he's viable and he showed he's willing to fight anywhere in the world and um his stock has risen not only there but over here then he's going to be in line for fights against uh maybe a um uh, Tyson Fury, if he comes back, maybe a uh, the winner of Fred Kendo and Manuel Char, uh, maybe Joseph Parker or the winner of Parker against Joshua, whatever the case may be, um, you know, maybe a, a Lucas Brown, as you mentioned before. All of a sudden, now he has all these other opportunities because he wasn't going to fall if he lost far down the rankings. He would be at number two, at number three, at the worst. So Deontay Wilder, yes, you're right, is uh, advised very badly. Um, and if he would have won, let's look at it this way: he goes over there and he wins against Anthony Joshua. Not only does he make a career high payday, but now all of a sudden they're obligated. Even Anthony Joshua is obligated to come to Deontay Wilder. So, um, you know, from a business standpoint, they're not really looking at it in the best interest of Deontay Wilder. They're doing what they usually do, and that is trying to keep their in-house fighter uh, with that title. Very much what they did with Adonis Stevenson, who I believe would have been willing in the past to go more abroad and fight in other places. But they've kept him in Canada because they know that's just going to be the money that keeps coming in. And that's what's happened 
happened with Deontay Wilder, and it's hurt him. Terrence Crawford, different promoter, he insisted to go overseas. Same thing with Errol Spence, who has the same advisor as Deontay Wilder. He insisted I go overseas, and I'm going to take that title from Kelbrook because I'm going to come back, and there's another one of your fighters here under the same banner that I want to take his title. So Deontay Wilder need to be a little more vocal, but again, you know, maybe he just... You know, maybe that's not in him as a person, you know. Maybe he just doesn't understand, or maybe he's afraid that uh, they are going to move on to these other names that are more viable, like a Spence, um, you know, and say, you know what, you got yourself the belt. We brought you as far as you can. These guys are more marketable in the long run. It just doesn't make sense, Sal, because, you know, if he goes over like that, if the, the same scenario Dak said we've talked about many times. We've talked about it. And, and, and it, does, it doesn't correct. make sense when you think about it. If you, if you put your if you put your hat on that his advisors are on and you go over to England and like Dax just said and just like we've said even if you lose you come back and you're making more money fighting the same slugs that you're fighting you know I, I mean like he could make the same amount of money fighting Ortiz or Stavern or anything else if he had went over and fought that fight but instead he's not making that money and he, he, the road to make that money is, is being prolonged. And it doesn't make sense to me that the greed factor with the advisors around him aren't recognizing that, even if they see that he doesn't possess the talent that he thinks he does. The money factor would be the driving force. It do, it, there's a lot of instances here, Sal, that just make no sense to me. Put this not to interrupt. Even if he went over and fought Dillian White and he won and knocked Dillian White out in sensational fashion, I believe that would actually put him more or less in that driver's seat and actually gotten Anthony Joshua over here because the U.S. fans want to see Anthony Joshua, number one. Number two, Dante Wilder now beat the guy that they said he had to fight in order to get the Anthony Joshua fight. Uh, you know, so all around, that would have even, you know, put him in a better position there and it would have been a win-win for everybody, including Anthony Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder. It would have been a win-win for everybody if he'd have went over there. But you're not going to get this worldwide um, adornment that you want if you're not willing to go around and fight around the world. A world champion's a world champion. Vladimir Klitschko, that's why, you know, he was on top for 10 years. You hated him. He was dull. He was boring to a lot of people. And most of the times, no, uh, he was. But you know what? He was a world champion. He fought everywhere in the world, same as Lennox Lewis. And that's what makes you special and sets you apart from everybody else. And that will bring in the money. And you don't have to worry, you know, your advisors, your promoters, your managers, whoever's around you, your cousin Sal, you know, whoever's sitting there telling you good news, bad news, whatever the point is, you can go anywhere and all of a sudden become that draw and you're the A-side no matter what. Dax, enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, we'll be looking forward to you Monday, my man. All right, everybody. Have a good day. Take care, Dax. That's Dax Khan uh, breaking down the fights uh, like only he does. But uh, Sal, hey, Sal ba ba world of knowledge. back to my question to you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't make sense to me about the, the, the direction that Deontay Wilder's advisors or managers, promoters, whatever you want to call them, are, are leading him. If it truly is about the money, then all of the reasons we've been giving this week and the ones that Dax just talked about now, which we've talked about, just doesn't make sense. The only, even if you say, okay, they know that this guy is not the real deal, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the money factor. I mean, something's missing. Something doesn't match up. What, what do you, do you see what I'm talking about? Billy, do I see what you're talking about? Pal, I'm on the same side. Let me tell you something. When he was offered $7 million 
plus the residual or what comes from the 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 gross of the uh, uh, purchase pay-per-view events here in the United States. I mean, look at it mathematically. Obviously, more so than his team. He's getting seven million dollars, as you pointed out. The guy has never fought for more than two million dollars, and if he's fought that much. And how many times a year does he fight? Two, three times, maybe three times tops, two times maybe on average. That's you get seven million dollars plus a couple more from from pay per view. You get close to ten million dollars. That might as well be a couple of years of your career. Number one, number two, you got a rematch clause, and number three, it, there was no reason in the world for him not to go through with that kind of fight with that kind of money in mind. And like you suggest. I think he has been poorly advised, and because this this is the fight that everybody wanted to see, everybody still wants to see. It doesn't have to marinate, and he's not going to be worth more next week than he was last week. Not if he and can't bottom, sell. Not if he can't sell out. Well, that but this is this is what's becoming more evident, and as you said. You know, this is going to be more fodder for Anthony Joshua to throw back at him. Like, hey, man, you can't even sell out your backyard against a title defense. And uh, and you want to claim you want more than $7 million when I bring you over here and I feed you that money? Uh, you know, so, I mean, kudos to, to Anthony Joshua. His marketability and his drawing power uh, supersedes Deontay Wilder by uh, a ton. And, and. It's going to show in the gate. So the bottom line is Anthony Joshua uh, had the right idea and gave Deontay Wilder what I think would have been a more than fair percentage and payday for them to fight. And with the rematch clause, I mean, the guy the guy was set to make up to $20 million in two fights. And, uh, you know, where is he going to do that here? Uh, in his backyard with the kind of fighters he's fighting. No, it's not going to happen. No. Uh, the only the only thing that I could see them prolonging this, and if it's I not about the said. money, which we all know it is about the money, all right? Um, the only thing is if they're trying to get his record to a point where, you know, he, he gets to that 49-0, and 0, uh, which is a significant because he's heavyweight, um, you know, and he breaks that record. Maybe they feel that, you know, that's more valuable to them to to, to fight, you know, 10 more slugs uh, to get to 50-0. and 0. Uh, That's the only, you know, when I, when I try to think of every single angle of why they haven't taken that fight, especially when Deontay comes out in public and says he wants them, um, it just makes no sense. It, it, it really doesn't. And, you know, the, the only part that that you could say is the is the record or the O, you know, which is both kind of parallel, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know. It makes no sense. I mean, obviously, Anthony Joshua is a much, like you just said, is, is a much more uh, marketable fighter. Uh, he, you know, I, I was driving when I drove to Florida recently, I saw him on under Armour uh, 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 billboards, you know, he's he's a spokesperson for Under Armour now, um, and you know, I, I mean, that's here in the states. You know, I don't see, I don't, I don't, no, no business wants to associate themselves with with Deontay Wilder. It's the same thing as Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, you know, made more money than anybody in the sport of boxing. Did you see any corporation that would align themselves with him? You know, I mean, absolutely not. 
You know, that's all they need is for him to, you know, beat up some woman or, or uh, some teenage security guard or, or, you know, do some of the stupid things that he does. You know, it's just as bad as trying to get a corporate sponsor for Adrian Broner. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And that's where the value uh, has to be built. Ah, it's, you know what, like the, the best part of this all, all of this could be put to rest if one simple thing happens, Sal. Well, we know what that is. Get, Get in the ring and fight. Ring. Fight. Let it happen. That's it. How many, how many fights? What is Deontay Wilder's record right now? 39 and 0. Right. I don't think over a course of even even three more years, I don't think Deontay Wilder is going to be uh, undefeated in three more years, even if he takes the cupcakes. I, I don't know. I think there's going to be somebody in three years that's going to beat him to get to 49 and 0. Not so if he doesn't fight. Do not it. not if he doesn't fight any real fighters. If well, he's fighting all I these know, guys. That's what I'm thinking about your theory is good, but is the but what? Well, you you said but I I was <laughs> oh, waiting for you to oh oh, yeah, oh. No, no, no. okay my but let me rewind <laughs> let's say something. If that theory was going to be played out, can you imagine us having to wait three or four years for Deontay Wilder to have another yeah, ten fights and yeah, who these cupcakes are going to be? Yeah, but listen, it's going to be pathetic. Yeah, but no one's going to wait for that. Yeah, but they, it, like Dax just said, the same thing happened with Adonis Stevenson. Everybody wanted to see yeah. Stevenson against Kovalev, and they kept ducking him and making excuses and blaming it on this guy, blaming it on that. And meanwhile, they're fighting cupcake after cupcake, and before you know it. Three years goes by, and and during that time, Deontay's going to be saying, "Ah, they're not offering me enough money. He's got to come to me. I'm the man. I'm the this. I'm the that." And and it becomes he said, she said. So very easily, I could see it drag on. Mayweather and Pacquiao dragged on for five years. Canelo Triple G dragged on for over two and a half years. I mean, I, you know, the time factor. And you're right. If he fights three more times, uh, if he fights three times a year in three years, he's looking at forty nine and zero. You know, yeah. so I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I, but you know. also, this is a guy who's been frail in and out of the ring. He's got hand injuries. He's got this one. He's got – there's a lot that can happen on a pathway to three You're right. years. You're and, right. and and here's the thing that I, I disagree with his, his camp. I mean, you have the money. You have the title. You have the recognition. You have the strategy behind two main fights that you could retire with if you had to. Uh, to fight Anthony Joshua. And with the thing you're going to dance around and be a viable uh, champion three years from now and, and still go in a pursuit of a, of a record that has never been broken, you know, that's, that's a long shot. I bet the Vegas odds would bet that doesn't happen. I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's, that's why it, it's a good theory you came out with. I agree. But to bet all your eggs in that basket is really a, a long shot to have, have come to fruition. I, I, I think he was ill-advised. I think he should have signed the deal, get his $7 million plus the pay-per-view, fight Anthony Joshua, don't embarrass yourself, and you'll have a rematch, and you'll be able to fight anybody. Two, two fights, you're still on your career. Win, lose, or draw, you're going to be a more marketable fighter because you did what you, you, what you claim your fist could do. And that's it. Well, if for some reason Luis Ortiz beats Deontay Wilder, Deontay well Wilder, Deont well, well, Deontay Wilder, I, I know, Deontay Wilder gets put up. And, 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 and then you'll see a fight made between him and Tyson Fury because, yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know but, uh, but anyway, on this day, 
February 23rd in boxing history in 2002, Jean-Marc Mormack knocks out Virgil Hill in the eighth round to win the WBA World Cruiserweight title, and that took place in France took place in France on this day in 2002. On this day in 1991, Gilbert Deal knocks out Carlos Elliott in the seventh round to win the vacant WBA junior middleweight title, and that took place in Guadalupe. Uh, on this day in Guadalupe, isn't that a name? Guadalupe. I didn't know it was a place. Uh, on this day, February 23rd in 2005, Robbie Pendon knocks out Nate Campbell. You've heard that name, right? What did he quit again? Have I heard what did, that what did, name? What did Nate Campbell quit again? That that slug, you. you know, that 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 woman clothes wearing uh, anti white American slug. Him anyway. Uh, I didn't say that. I, uh, did I say that? I didn't mean it. Just he doesn't wear women's clothes. He just likes their shoes. But uh, Robbie Pendon knocks out Nate Campbell in the eighth round to win the vacant IBF Junior Lightweight title. That took place in Australia. On this day, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know what came over me there. On this day in 2002, uh, Paulie Ayala wins a 12-round decision over Bones Adams. Clarence Bones Adams, I used to love him, uh, to win the vacant world junior featherweight title to place in Vegas. On this day, February 23rd, 1906, Tommy Burns wins a 20-round decision over Marvin Hart to win the world heavyweight title, and that took place in Los Angeles, California. Now, uh, if you uh, uh, guys remember, uh, Tommy Burns was the guy that my man Jack Johnson beat to win the title uh, a year later. Uh, on this day, February 20th, uh, and finally on this day, February 23rd in 1938, uh, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, Joe Lewis, knocks out Nathan Mann in the third round to retain his world heavyweight title, and took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Joe Lewis, he improves to 34 wins and one loss. His only loss coming at the hands at that time to Max Schmeling. And uh, Mann uh, loses only the fifth fight in his career. He drops to 40 wins, five losses, and three draws. And that, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and childrens of all ages, is what happened on this day, February 23rd, in boxing history. Hey, hey listen, everyone. Make sure you watch all the fights this weekend. There's a lot of good ones on, and uh, we'll be talking about uh, those fights come Monday morning. So uh, make oh, and programming note: we will not be doing a show Tuesday, Sal. I gotta go to the city on Tuesday. So uh, what are you going uh, to the city for? Uh, I got uh, I gotta I gotta see a guy, you know. But uh, you got city, uh, city things. Yeah, I gotta leave early in the morning. I won't be able to do it. But uh, anyway. We'll be here Monday, so make sure you tune in Monday morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.